This is Truth and Love Ministries, where we bring people home to God by learning His truth and experiencing His unending love. In the quest to know God's will for your life, you might be surprised to know there's not much to figure out. In fact, God made His will fairly simple. He just wants you, an actual, deep, daily relationship with you. You are who Jesus went to the cross and died for after all. If you'll give Jesus your yes by choosing to submit to the Holy Spirit's guidance, He will live out His will through you. This simple truth is what we'll dive into during this week's message. We pray this message refreshes you and speaks encouragement to whatever is going on in your life right now. Now, let's take a listen to the message. Last week, we talked about finding the will of God and... You know, in order to really find the will of God, you can actually find the will of God by giving your total self over to God, giving him all of you. When God has my spirit, my soul, and my body, then obtaining direction will be easy for me to do. It won't be a complicated thing. So today, we're going to continue along that line. And we're going to start in, I want, I want to start in Genesis chapter 3 because I want to show you what happens when we don't or are the main issue that we deal with in giving ourselves over to God. Genesis chapter 3 verse 1 through 6 it says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said. Now at this moment we see that all is well. Everything is going well. Okay. The devil said. He said unto the woman. Hath God said. Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Okay. Now. Here's the woman. She's replying. And the woman said unto the serpent. We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden. God has said. Ye shall not eat of it. Neither shall ye touch it. Lest ye die. Okay, now I want you to notice that even though the woman has added some words, she's added, neither shall you touch it. Now, I, I, I don't have a problem with that. She's, 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 in other words, she's saying, man, stay away from the thing. It, we'll die if we, if, if, we, if, we, if, we, if we eat off of it and if we touch it. Okay, so here comes the devil back. It says, and the serpent said unto the woman, ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Okay? Now, I want you to notice that in the first conversation she had with the devil, that she's actually having a conversation with the devil here. In the first conversation that she had with the devil, she said something back, and really, she said what God said. Now, the devil has come and said this, For God doth know that in the day that you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Now, he's seeking to sow discord between the woman and God. Okay? Now, when that was done, it's... The next word says this, and when the woman saw, now, 
when there is no confrontation, that when there's no confrontation, confrontation, then there is consideration. In other words, the woman is now considering what the devil has said. She's taken into consideration what he said to her. Now, if she had came back and said, God has said, we shall not eat off of this tree, neither shall we touch it, lest we die, she would have been in good shape. But now she's considering. It says, now, when the tree, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food. Now, when you think about food, what is he talking about? She's talking about the physical being, her physical body. Okay? It's going to satisfy my hunger. And then it says, and that it was pleasant to the eyes. Okay? Now, pleasant to the eye. I want you to think about what he's saying, what, what, what's being said here. Because when you think about pleasant to the eye, the eye is the gateway to the soul. So, in other words, this woman, the we can see where the body is involved. Now, I want to show you where the soul is becoming involved in what's going on with her. Okay? So, the body, when she saw that it was good for food, now she says it's pleasant to the eye and desirable to make one wise. If you think with me to, to Proverbs chapter 4, Proverbs chapter 4 says that guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it flows the issues of life. And then when you read on down from that scripture, it tells you how to guard your heart. It says, don't look to the left nor to the right. Keep your feet from evil and, and all this kind of stuff. And it goes, it tells you that we have to guard our eyes, our ears, and really and truly, we have to guard our own mouth because we feed our own souls when we open our mouths. Okay, so... Now, a tree desirable to make one wise. She, she, she looked, she saw it was pleasant to the eye. Okay? So the eye is the gateway to the soul. So now she's engaged in the conscience, the memory, the, the imagination. She's trying to imagine what the devil has said. She's contemplating. She's running it across by her conscience to see if it violates her conscience. And the conscience has nothing there that says this is right or wrong. And so, therefore, every, all of her is coming into consent with what the devil has said. And then it says, a tree to be desired to make one wise. Okay? So, it, it, then it says, and she took... Of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband, and he did eat. Now, what I want you to see is, it is actually the woman, the greatest temptation that all of us deal with. The greatest temptation, the greatest thing that we're going to deal with in our lives is the temptation of being a God to ourselves. For us to determine what's right and wrong for our own selves. Not submitting to what God has said is right and wrong, but yielding and deciding for our own selves what's right and wrong for us. Okay? So, now, I want you to think back to last week. We talked about it being a possession permitted. A possession permitted. Permitted. In other words, I have to allow God. I have to remember Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. He's actually saying that I have to permit God to come into my heart and in, in, into my life. And, and, and now I want you to see that 
is not only a permitting him to come in, but it has to come to the place where we are allowing him to live. Now, I can have somebody in my house, but don't allow them access to all of the rooms. I can limit them access to certain rooms, okay? You stay in that room, you use that bathroom. I don't give them access to the whole house. And see, we have to not only allow God in, we got to allow him to live. So today we want to talk about a principle proceed, okay? A principle proceed. It is the life of faith that pleases God by viewing every situation as God does. Now, I'm going to tell you something. That's going to be a challenge. That's going to be a challenge. I want you to think about the life of Jesus. When, when the Romans, when, when the Jewish people looked at Jesus being crucified, I want you to remember what God said in Isaiah chapter 9. He said, the government shall be upon his shoulders, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Okay? So, basically, he's saying that God, God was saying that Jesus was going to come and establish a kingdom, and of his kingdom there would be no end. Okay, so the Jewish people knew the word, knew the word. Now, you have to see that word the way God sees it in order for it to be what God says it's supposed to be. So when the Jewish people saw Jesus hanging on the cross, they shook their heads and said, this cannot be the Messiah. Because what God said was going to be taking place in the spirit they took it to mean that it was going to take place in the natural. So if we're going to live a life by faith, live a life that's by faith that pleases God, we're going to have to see every situation as God sees it. Now, now just suppose you do this. Suppose you're quite willing to be God's property. You even long for it. And with all of your heart that your human life may be the expression of all that God is. And you understand that each circumstance you encounter is to be looked at from God's point of view, and you act on that basis. Let's say you do all of that. Then how do you know for sure that you have found the will of God? What is the unmistakable mark? What unmistakable mark will indicate to you and to everyone else that you are a body wholly filled and flooded with God himself. What is that indication? Okay? So, the mark will inevitably be purity practice. And Paul describes it. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3 through 8, it says, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. And we said last week that you should be holified, Okay? Because sanctified and the word holy are basically the same word when you get to the root of it. And that you should abstain, that you should avoid, avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. And that in this manner, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins as we, have, as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy 
spirit. Now, now I want to say this too. The Bible says, "He that is slow to anger is better than the is greater than the mighty, and he that controlleth his spirit than he who takes a city." In other words, he's basically telling us it's easy for you to take over something, but it's harder for you to control yourself, for you to control or possess your own body. And God is saying the greatest person that lives is the one who can control himself. Okay? So what it says is that you learn to possess your vessel in holiness and honor. And other translations read, to master your body, to control your body, okay? So now understand this, that the body means more than the physical me mechanism with its five senses. I want you to understand that I said a while ago, and I showed you that when, 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 when my spirit and my soul comes into, an, into agreement, my body is literally a slave, my body becomes a slave, okay? My body is, now, now we have allowed this thing to, to gain power and control, to have a voice, to dominate us, to tell, tell, to tell us what it wants to do, okay? You, I, know, I know everybody can relate. You've walked through the kitchen and you, you know there's some cake or some cookies or pie or your favorite drink or whatever, and your body tells you it wants some. And you, you do what the slave says and get up and go get the body what it asks for. Now, now, what we have to learn is this. We have to learn how to put the slave in its proper place. We got to learn to not yield to the slave, but tell the slave what it is supposed to do. Because the physical body, is, it includes more than the five senses. It includes the mind, the heart, the emotions, the will, the, the imagination, and all the, 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 the conscious. It, 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 it contains all of that. It means our total life structure, the body, mind, and the soul. And so this is clearly up indicated by that other verse where the phrase, this is the will of God, occurs in chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians. It says in verse 18, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now, now see, this backs up what the other scripture is telling us. So how can I give thanks in every circumstance unless I am able to see every circumstance from God's perspective? And I'm telling you, if we learn to see every circumstance from God's perspective, then we will be able to say, Lord, thank you. Thank you so much. James said it this way, count it all joy, my brethren, when you fall into the temptation, knowing this, that the trying of your faith work at patience. Let patience have a perfect work that you may be perfect and entire, lacking nothing. And if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men liberally and upbraideth not. And so basically James is saying, you can count it all joy when you fall into temptations, but you got to know something. You got to know something. You got to know that God is working something else. You got to know that God is doing something else. And you really need to see what God is doing. And that needs to become one of our, our little prayers, one of the prayers that we pray. God, help me. 
I put it on, I put it in my prayer notes. God, help me to see life as you see it. Help me to see life as you see it. Because he said, my thoughts are not your thoughts and my ways are not your ways. But God wrote all of these things down. And the Bible says, actually in 1 Corinthians, I believe, I can't remember exactly the place. I know it's 1 Corinthians. It says, now you have the mind of Christ. In other words, I can think the thoughts of God. I can see what God sees. God has revealed these things unto us by his spirit. We can see what God sees, okay? So, this, that particular scripture clearly indicates that the mind and the will is involved. Give thanks, rejoice in all circumstance. This includes more than the body. Then, so that the possession of the vessel means the total man. If I am going to, if I am going to possess my vessel, then I'm talking about the total man. I got to control my mind. I can't just sit and let my mind roam and ramble and go everywhere and think everything and go where it wants to go and think that I'm going to be okay. Because Proverbs 23 and 7 says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. If you think on a thing long enough, it actually is manifesting to you who you really are or what's coming into your mind. But I also want you to know that Kenneth Hagin said, he said, I can't, I can't stop the birds from flying over my head, but I can stop them from building a nest in my hair. And his point is, thoughts are going to come, but it's up to me to take charge and take control of them. Now, the third thing is, the will of God is not only possession permitted, is not only a principle perceived, but it is visibly evidenced by a purity practice. First Thessalonians, and I want to read this from the Phillips translation because it, it gives us a, a, a better, under, a clearer understanding of what's actually transpiring here. Now, he said, every one of you should learn to control his body, keeping it pure and treating it with respect and never regarding it as an instrument for self-gratification, as do pagans with no knowledge of God. Now, let's note that using the body for self-gratification. God never intended for the body to be used for us to gratify ourselves, but for us to glorify him. First Corinthians again, 6. It says, know ye not that you're not your own, that you are bought with the price. Therefore glorify God in your spirit and your body, which are God's. Notice he left the soul out because the will is in the soul and that, that, that you have to make up your mind that you're going to allow God to operate in and through your life. Okay, that's why in, in Romans he said, present your body, live in sacrifice, holy, acceptable in God was your reasonable service or reasonable form of worship. And don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind that you may know what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will, will of God. Some translations say that you may demonstrate what that per good, perfect will of God is. Okay? So he's telling us that we should not use our bodies as instruments for self-gratification, as the pagans do who have no knowledge. Then he goes on to say, you cannot break this rule without in some way cheating your fellow man. Now, he's basically telling us that there is no way, there is no way that we can gratify, gratify or satisfy ourselves and not cheat our fellow man, not hurt somebody else. 
Anytime I look out for self, anytime my mind is consumed with self, somebody else is going to suffer. Okay? Then he went on to say, and you must remember that God will punish all who do offend in this matter. And then he goes on and says, and we have warned you how we have seen this work out in our experience of life. The calling of God is not to impurity, but to, but to the thorough purity. Okay? And anyone who makes light of this matter is not making light of man's ruling, but of God's command. He said, now, anytime we violate, anytime we do this, we're not, we're, not, we're not ignoring man, we're ignoring God. And it is not for nothing that, God, that, that the spirit that God gives us is called the Holy Spirit. He's called that for a reason. So, now, tell me now, is not that scripture coming to grips with life as we know it? It comes to grip with life as we know it. And I want to tell you this story about a Christian father told a story about that a story about his son his teen, in, that was in his late teens. He came to him and he said, Dad, I know what Christianity says about sex outside of marriage. But judging from what my friends say, I feel like I'm missing something. I feel that life is passing me by and there's something I'm being cheated of. And he said, Dad, I want you to know that I mean to find out for myself. Now, that is why I gave you Genesis chapter 3. I gave you that scripture for this reason, that the devil told them that you shall not surely die. He said, God doesn't know that the day you eat of it, you're going to be like God's knowing good and evil. So what he was saying was, he was saying to, he was saying to Adam and Eve the same thing that the devil says to our young people. I feel like I'm missing something. I feel that life is passing me by and there is something I'm being cheated of. I want you to understand that's the devil's tactic. That's what he's doing on a consistent basis every day, all day. And he wants us to do what? Like the young man said, find out for myself. There you have the satanic lie in all this naked allurement. And do you think for one moment that this pressure, this fearsome pressure, to misuse the body, to use it as an instrument of self-gratification is not being felt by our Christian young people in the full power of it almost every moment today. Everything you turn the TV on, everything you see, everything you watch, it has to do with self-gratification. And what I'm trying to get you to see also is that it... it when we think about being impure, we automatically think about sexuality, but impurity, I want you to understand that it comes from the mind first. You're not impure in body and then in soul. You're impure in mind and then it comes to the body. That's why he's saying we have to learn how to possess, possess and control our whole man. But notice how Paul handles this. He returns to the principle of faith. He says, I warn you that what God has said above this will prove to be true. Satan is a liar. He's a liar. And what he appears to offer, he never delivers. 
he can never fulfill. So what that young man thought would be his by the gratification of his fleshly desires outside of marriage would never be realized. In other words, he is going to create a hunger on the inside of him that he would never, ever in any form be able to satisfy. Never be able to satisfy. And this is not just mere pre preaching. I'm telling you the truth. The result is completely predictable. What God says will happen. The Lord is the avenger in all these things. And what a tragic toll is being ex extracted daily because of this terrible delusion, this awful decline of morality, a toll that finds ex its, its expression in tension. We look at our young people. We wonder what's going on. We, we find it in torment. We find it in nervous collapse, in mental illness, despair, and some even to the place and the point of suicide that they're considering and contemplating suicide. And the rate mounts up and up, and we, and, and we seem to be utterly blind as to what is the cause of it. We don't know why we're on this moral we, we're on this slippery slide when it comes to morality. It is amazing to me how far we've fallen. It's amazing to me, and I'm not talking about the world, I'm talking about the church. It's amazing how far we've fallen when it comes to morality. Things that the church normally would never accept, normally never would tolerate, now has become acceptable in our body. Ephesians 5, 3 through 6, it says this. It says it a little bit better. It takes it a step further. It says, but among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality. Or, listen, listen now, or of any kind of impurity or of greed. Because these are improper for God's holy people. Now, he goes on to show us any kind of impurity or of greed. He goes on to take it a step further. And he said, nor shall there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. In other words, he said, now we got to come to the place where we are not even allowing ourselves to be around folks that tell certain kind of jokes or talk in certain ways. We got to learn how to walk away. We got we to gotta learn how to tell people, hold on just one second. Hold that thought for just one moment and walk away and then turn back and look at them and say, now go ahead. Thank you. And move on about your business. It's time for us to take a stand. It's time for us to separate. And I, I didn't say isolate. I said separate. It's time for us that, that to be a distinction in the people of God. And then he goes on to say, for of this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy person such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. He said they have no inheritance there. And he said, let no man, no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Now, note that the wrath of God has already been poured out one time and it don't have to be poured out on, on us again because it's been poured out on Jesus for us. And note this, out in the business world with its sharp practices, it's easy, easy, listen folks, it's easy morality in the social world with its constant emphasis upon the gratification of the flesh. As I said a few minutes ago, everything, everything 
is about gratis, the gratification, the satisfaction of the flesh. In all areas of our life, it takes power to live today, folks. It takes power. But it's not your power. It takes God's power. His is the only adequate power. And let me add this. The times in which we are living are rapidly weeding out the phonies. If we have not learned what the will of God is in terms of our experience, all the facades that we have erected for others to see will come crashing down in other, ru other ruins at our feet as the pressure of the times mounts up and exposes the rotten fabric of our lives. In other words, there's, there's coming a dividing line, and you can see it everywhere. You can see it all over the place. You see, you see people consenting and agreeing to things that they normally would not agree to. I see churches, and these, I see churches separating and dividing because of moral issues, because of morality. I see people that call themselves Christians that are yielding and surrendering to certain things and giving in to certain things. And it's all of, and, and, and we're putting on a facade. And we have to come to the place where we are who we say we are and we do what we say we are doing. It's time for the church to come away from hypocrisy because this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you may be a body holy, filled, and flooded with God himself. And with the fabric of our nation and the world being swept away by the desires of the flesh, how awesome it would be to see a people living in purity and reflecting the love, grace, and glory of the life of Jesus Christ. This is the will of God. When you have found that, the matter of guidance takes care of itself. When we found and come to the place where we've learned to control ourselves, we have we not only allowed God to live on the inside, come in and take possession, we have given him authority and the right to live inside of us. When we come to that place, we don't need to pray and ask God for guidance. We'll be like the Apostle Paul. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. That's his goal. You know, I hear people, I heard, I hear in the Christian world, people say this, only what you do for Christ will last. But I say it this way, only what Christ does through you will last. And we can prove that by Matthew chapter 7. I prophesied in your name. I've cast out devils in your name. Done many mighty wonderful works in your name. And then he'll turn to them and say, depart from me for I never knew you. You workers of iniquity. And so it's not what we do for Christ because people are doing stuff so they say for Jesus all the time, it is not a changed life. It is a surrendered life. It's a life given over to Jesus and allowing him to do it. And see, that's what Jesus was doing. He says, not, why do you call me good? There's none good but one. That is God. Why did he say that? Because God was working in him and through him. He says, not me to do the works. These are not my words. These are not my words. It is God that's doing the work. In other words, he was yielded to God. He had, he had given him position, permission to possess. He was living by a principle perceived, and it was manifest by purity practiced. 
And everything that he did, it was God working in him and through him, making it come to pass. And, 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 and when we get to that place, it is easy for God to lead someone who belongs to him, spirit, soul, and body. And perhaps now we should take a moment to allow each of us, in the loneliness of, of his own relationship with God, to talk to him, to present to him. And the question is, have you ever presented yourself as what you are, and that's nothing, in order that you may have what he is, and that's everything? If you've never done it before, your spirit and soul and body as he is, his property, and to remember that this is maintained only as you believe him about every circumstance into which you come. This is the life of faith. And the question is, and the challenge is, will you, in a moment of silence, quiet prayer, commit yourself again to him, to his keeping grace in this perilous world? Will you give yourself to Jesus? Will you allow him that right, that access? And once he has access, will you allow him access not only to portions and places in your life, but your entire life? Will you give it all over to him? Will you say to Jesus today, not my will, but thy will be done? Will you allow Jesus to help you not help you, but to surrender to him and allow him to live through you so that Jesus himself can be manifest, so the world won't see you, but they'll see Christ, so that you can say with boldness and confidence, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I'm still alive, but it's not I that live, but it is Christ that liveth in me. Let us pray. Lord, we just so bless you, we praise you, we worship you, we honor you, we thank you for the privilege, Lord God, of being able to be possessed by you as we give you that permission and place in our lives, as we allow you to rule and reign upon the throne of our hearts, as we surrender to you not only spirit but soul and then body so that that can be a manifestation to a world that's lapsing in morality, that's missing peace, that has no experience of joy, and is and, and missing life altogether because they have not allowed you to live in them and through them. Father, I just pray today that we would surrender ourselves again and again, that every day we, we awake, we would, wake in, so we would awaken in surrender and say, Lord, not my will, but thy will be done. Show me what you would have me to do today. Help me to see this day through your eyes, to hear it through your ears, and to respond through your heart to others that we encounter in our daily lives. We bless you for it. We praise you for it. We thank you for it now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, make sure you subscribe and share with someone you know. And tune in next week for more sermons from Truth and Love Ministries.